Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to the House of Pod. We are a podcast where we try to answer medical type questions, talk about medical type things, and we pull back the curtain on the world of medicine. I'm Kaveh. I'm Lizzie. And we have great guests. We, <laughs> we're, we're still trying to figure out our intro. So I suspect okay. in the next hundred episodes or so, we will have one, right. like an intro that we like. But until then, um, listeners are just going to have to deal with us experimenting. How are you, Lizzie? I'm good. Um, I think we hit our 80th episode recently, so maybe uh, by the 100th episode, we'll really get it down. What do you want to do for our 100th episode? Spread love and not COVID. Can we, just get, can we just get drunk on the 100th episode? Just like Yeah, but from home? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, listeners can just listen to us progressively get like drunker. Oh, oh, do like a live video of drinking. Yeah. Yes. I had no idea. I was like, uh, that's like a normal Tuesday night in quarantine is getting drunk. I'm like, how are you going to make this 100th episode special? I think that might be interesting. No, and then we could just drinking. We could just drunk dial all the guests. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Or, or we should just watch the news and every time they say COVID, just do shots. Take a you shot. Oh I mean? my, we might yeah. die. I know. I know. Maybe in like a 15 minute period. That would be a good Good idea. We should definitely live stream something. So everyone listen for that. But uh, and that's it'll be in a couple months. I have a question for you with all this COVID stuff obviously going on. Um, you know, everyone's saying before you do this, before you enter New York, before you do this two week quarantine, who who's checking this and how? Oh yeah. I don't know like, the answer to that, but I suspect <laughs> nobody. Right. I don't think anybody is. Right. I mean, I have a friend who's going to North Carolina or something with her family and she's like I'm not supposed to go back to work for a couple weeks after. I'm like, how, how are they going to check? She's like, we're just not going to post stuff online. I don't know. You know, she definitely had COVID also. So she has oh, antibodies, but like her family and stuff. I don't, how do you do it? Who's checking? Who's at the gate no of one. the highways and the interstates checking what, for COVID? What I've heard is it's super spotty around the right. country. What people have told me is that like, they'll come to a place. People don't care. People haven't asked. And then some places people do seem to kind of grill them a little bit. But there seems to be no uniform strategy to this. There seems to be right. no real uniform attempt to 
come up with a plan to quarantine. And, okay. and to be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know how they would. I mean, I don't right. know. No, it would take like um, Chinese authoritarian, you know, more than what Trump's doing in Portland to enforce that stuff, you know? And I was just making sure I didn't miss anything in the news. Cause I love to think that people are just taking, you know, scouts honor and being noble and honorable and doing what they think is right and quarantining. If, if there's any exposure, or if there's any, you know, advice to do so. But at the same time, when they say this is a mandatory quarantine, I'm often wondering just like, who, what, how? Yeah, basically we're all screwed. Um, but you know who isn't screwed is our next guest. That wasn't a great segue. Dr. Uh, Dr. Glockham Flecken, he is an ophthalmologist, a comedian, and an all-around great guy on the interwebs. And we really are excited for you guys to hear him. If you haven't already heard of the guy, you're going to love him. And if you have heard of him, you're going to love him even more. So stay tuned for Dr. Glockham Flecken. On today's show, we have an ophthalmologist, a comedian, and a Twitter slash TikTok doctor who is really well known on the internet for his takes on everything from Visine to medical training and the culture of medicine. He's talked about being a cancer survivor, and most recently, he's had a, a new health scare um, that he's been talking about, and it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. I'm a big fan. Uh, Dr. Glockenflecken, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. This is great. And good job on saying Glockenflecken correctly. I'm impressed. That was good. Can you tell us? Yeah, tell us what the name. I mean, we should probably know because yeah. we're doctors and I assume it's a medical reference and glaucoma's in there, but tell us what Glockenflecken yeah. is. It's it's a real word. I mean, it shouldn't surprise anybody. We have enough ridiculous words in ophthalmology that of course Glockenflecken would be a real word. But it's uh it's incredibly boring. Um, but also I'll keep it short. It's uh, uh in Angle closure glaucoma, uh, you get these, the death of these lens epithelial cells that form these little gray spots on the lens that are called glaucomfleck. Oh man. There you go. Amazing. You were really, you were really going for like a universal name that everyone would enjoy. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that it would turn into this. So <laughs> in, in all fairness to me. The word and the name are super relatable. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I mean, the word ophthalmology is also like an insane word. It's, you know, oh, yeah. it takes me like 10 minutes to spell it. Like why, why throw in like three separate, three different H's? I just, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. We have a lot worse than that, that though. So. Okay. Well, more about your story. Um, can you tell us how you went from being an ophthalmologist to, you know, becoming, you know, an online Twitter, now TikTok sensation, let's say, and uh, with a following. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that's a very, you know, a, uh, the word sensation is, is very <laughs> relative, right? Within the right. field of uh, mm-hmm. ophthalmology and medicine. But, um, right. uh, you know, I, I, I have a background in stand-up. Uh, I started doing stand-up comedy in high school and uh, really got serious about it um, in college, but 
decided I didn't want to pursue it as a career. I, I'm not that much of a risk taker. And so I, um, I went the medicine route, which is obviously very similar to stand-up comedy, but, um, right, right. <laughs> I went, I went with medicine, but continued doing stand-up through med school as much as I could. And, um, but at some point I was just too busy. I couldn't get on stage, didn't have the time, couldn't do, you know, late night, uh, open mics and, and shows. And so, uh, I needed a, a an outlet for that that creative impulse that I had um, to do comedy and social media was the obvious choice and so I I got on Twitter checked it out and just kind of kept that going and eventually got to where we are today uh, which I never thought it would you know I'd be doing TikToks and recording these <laughs> ridiculous videos I'll do that I, I have a lot of respect for stand ups it's such it is really a calling. You really have to oh, work yeah. at it. People assume it's just like an innate thing. You have to work oh. your ass off at it. And it's one of these jobs where it's like the better you are at it, the less work it seems like you did. You know, yeah. it seems more natural. And, and it, it kind of hides the fact that you struggled through it. Like we've talked about on the show, you know, I played music. And if we went up and bombed or if people didn't like it, it's good because I could always blame something else. Like they didn't like our style of music. The drummer sucked, whatever. <laughs> but if you're a comic and you go up there, it's just you and the world. And, and I have so much respect for that. Have you ever had, I'm assuming you have, because every comic seems to, you ever just bombed horribly? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, when it's, when it's going good, it's so good. It's so good. But then when it's going bad, it's, it's the worst experience in the world. It's an awful feeling really when you, when you try to tell a joke and no, no one laughs, like that's, that's yeah. bad. Yeah. That, must, bad. that, uh, that career must be the highest rate of like one and done. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah, yeah. the first day of medicine, you might suck, but you're going to go back for day two, three, four, maybe a hundred, maybe for a career, but comedy is probably the most likely to just get up there bomb, that's probably just never, because medicine that's probably just because medicine has student loans we got to pay back yeah you're in it you're stuck in it at that point <laughs> well did you when you when you know you started sharing your comedy did you receive any criticism online or in person about being a doctor making jokes did you ever have any issues with people saying like hey you're not supposed to joke about this sort of stuff you, we, you're supposed to be someone who's taken seriously you're supposed to be noble. Yeah, and, and that's actually why I, I started with this um, anonymous presence, right? I, I wanted to stay anonymous, mainly because I was in residency when I got on Twitter. Um, but a lot of it was kind of trial and error, you know, seeing kind of what kind of what kind of boundary I could push as a physician. And I try to maintain a few very simple rules for myself that I think apply to physicians on social media more than other people. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, making sure where you're punching, you know, not, mm -hmm. not punching down, obviously, which is really, I don't know, it's a pretty common rule in comedy in general, but um, making sure that I'm making fun of the right people, mostly okay. myself, that's right. like a huge part of it. And that's, that's, I think, where a lot of this by success on Twitter and TikTok have come from is being able to laugh at myself, right. uh, which is, is you don't I think it's a it's hard for for physicians sometimes people in healthcare to do that right uh, because we our jobs are so serious and we put so much time into becoming what we are that that I think the idea of making fun of what you do is is a little bit challenging 
Um, but that's, uh, that's a huge part of what I do and trying to avoid being mean, I guess, yeah. to yeah, other yeah. people. Are you having a hard time being funny and making jokes during COVID? <laughs> Honestly, I, I would say no, not really. <laughs> I, I guess I've been, I've been doing this so so long now it's like every day i i try to tweet every day i try to say something every day and it's 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 a different type of environment obviously on social media yeah. but the the engagement since march like on twitter has been through the roof not as much now but like march april may right there were so many people online so many people talking that um i think my brand of humor which again is really mostly talking about myself. And that, yeah. that's where I focused it um, because I was talking about ophthalmologists all of a sudden having to work in the ICU, <laughs> which I, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but I was hammering that like <laughs> daily. I was like, yeah. this yeah. is- No, you commit to a bit and I like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just do that's it. That's why, why I hate the spleens, right? That's why, you know. Yeah. So um, I mean, that in itself is a joke, like ophthalmologists in the ICU. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's well, exactly. Wonderful. Yeah, that's obviously. right. That was, that was, so, that was <laughs> I know. I mean, whatever. Everyone's posting stuff about gynecologists intubating oh, yeah. you. Like the rock, like about, those you don't want a GI doctor trying to yeah. intubate you. It's a nightmare for both. Yeah. So, there's, so, so that's an easy, that was, that was an easy thing to, okay, I can post this. It's safe. Like, I'm pointing the humor at myself doing these ridiculous things. And it was, you know, it got people in a very stressful situation to have something to laugh at. I mean, that was, it was, it was dark. It's still pretty dark, but it was, you know, back in yeah. March, it was rough. Mm -hmm. It's rough. Yeah. So, I mean, you're a compelling person to hear speak, but your story is also incredibly compelling because that in 2012, you also battled testicular cancer, right? And I think there was... Two, two battles. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how, mm -hmm. you know, changing from a healthy 25 year old man to a, a cancer being, survivor? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I was in third, my third year of med school and um, the end of it. And, you know, I just woke up. I was like, oh, that's not supposed to be there. Um, I knew my my testicle wasn't supposed to try to grow another testicle. And so I went in, got diagnosed and it all just happened really quickly. And uh, you, you just, you can very, very easily go from feeling like an invincible 20 something year old, you know, to all of a sudden, you know, you can't get disability insurance because you have a history of cancer or, you know, there's, it's just, it, it's a, it's a, it's a total change uh, at first in how you feel about about uh, your own that was gonna sound dramatic but your own mortality because yeah. I, I was I was never in danger of dying from this it was it was just more of a this is something a part of my life now well, that you I gotta deal it's with. like you know that for sure when you're 25 and and any sort of illness that's life-threatening or dramatic that makes you have to like have surgery or take medication mm -hmm. That's shocking for any young person. Well, and I was a third year medicine, so really I didn't know anything. But right. but I, I guess I, I knew more than your average person. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, it's it was a change. Uh, had to have surgery, some treatment. But I, I got I got better. And the way I dealt with that, because 
you know, everybody, when you go through that, you got to have some kind of coping strategy. And, and fortunately, my wife, very supportive, and uh, she's been with me through all of this. And, uh, but it was comedy, actually, as I had, at that point, I had stopped doing stand up just out of a lack of time. But I, as soon as I was diagnosed, I was like, I started writing jokes again, I started, started writing. And um, that was my way of processing. So I got on stage, went to whatever comedy club I could find and just started laughing about it. And uh, that, that's what help, always helps me cope with yeah. anything, as people can probably tell. Right. It's a great coping mechanism. It's our favorite. Um, so you, you mentioned your wife. She plays a big role in another health scare that you had more recently back in May 11th. Can you tell us what happened that yeah. night for, for lack of, I mean, I don't have any more exposition <laughs> to do. Can you just tell us the story okay. of what happened? My heart stopped beating. That's what happened. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Tell us about it. Yeah. I, uh, it was the night after mother's day and, um, I, at four o'clock in the morning, I went into a V-fib cardiac arrest. So my my wonderful wife woke up um, at like four o'clock in the morning. Not sure how she just happened to wake up. It was just, it's that's I literally saved my life that she woke up um, be, just because I was breathing differently. It's kind of breathing funny. I had wow. agonal breaths basically, and uh, it woke her up. Uh, she immediately called 911. She knew something was wrong. Uh, and the 911 operator walked her through CPR, which she did for 10 minutes, 10 wow. minutes of CPR. That's is like she, she one and a half. That's like one and a half cataract surgeries, by the way. <laughs> is she in uh, medicine? She's not, not at all. No medical background whatsoever. Um, although she did have a bi biology minor in college. So <laughs> that, maybe that, that helped. That was what, 10, 10, 15 years ago? That counts. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so yeah, she didn't know, not, you know, BLS certified, nothing. Um, and she did it right there on the bed. Uh, well, I'm too big, so she wasn't able to get me onto the floor. And she did, you know, as I've done a lot of research into out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and, you know, the how quick you start doing CPR is a huge part of this. Right. And so. Um, She's the only reason I'm alive. Is there, um, do you have a diagnosis? Is there, have you? Nope. Oh, no cool. idea. <laughs> That's terrible. I, I did all kinds. I got all kinds of tests in the hospital um, and I'm waiting on some genetic testing. Mm -hmm. So they, I sent a swab uh, and there's like a list of like a hundred different genes they're looking for, which really just, you know, has implications for my kids. Sure. Yeah. What That's was the next step? Did you have to get a defibrillator? Yeah, I uh, so after I I woke up in the ICU three days later, um, which you know by the way this whole thing, like it's far more traumatic for the the family members involved, right. like my wife, my my parents, my, right. my not so much my kids. We tried to shield them a little bit from it, right. but uh, I just I went to bed. I woke up in the ICU. I don't know what the hell was going on. So um, you're fine. Yeah. 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 But. Uh, after that, after I recovered, I did get a, a implantable defibrillator. It's a subcutaneous one, so just kind of right underneath the skin, mm -hmm. yeah. which is which is nice that I qualified for that. Wow, that's terrifying. I can't. Um, 
I mean, yeah, your wife probably sleeps with like a mirror next to her so she can keep it under your nose. I have woken up a few times and noticed that she's kind of like looking at me like, are you breathing? breathing (laughs) So you can, you can attest to the fact. So three days in the ICU and you, you know, some people come out of that and they're like, remember things, hear things or traumatized, but you think of it as like a great three day sleep. So that's cool. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, they, they cooled down my brain for about 24 hours. Wasn't mm-hmm. ECMO, but it was some kind of, I don't know. Yeah. All I can see is what the charges were on my bill. <laughs> for ice, and, like three uh, buckets yeah. of ice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah $60,000. Well, um, you mentioned that actually, but that's something else that you brought <laughs> up. And I think that it's a really important thing to bring up because now you see it from a perspective that a lot of doctors don't. You've now had to deal with the madness of the insurance companies. Um, and, and I think a lot of patients out there relate to some of the stuff you've been tweeting. Can you tell us what's been happening with insurance companies, what you've had to deal with? The, the cardiac arrest pales in comparison to the amount of stress and just anxiety that's come with dealing with the hospital bills and, oh, the, sure. and the health insurance companies. Like it is no, I was thinking I was doing great. Like I am. I'm back. I'm jogging again. Like my heart's fine. No problem. And then like, I started getting like denials for things and having to like talk to Cigna like every, you know, 24 hours. It's just, uh, is, is, is so unbelievably frustrating. You can cuss like, by the way, if you can, we are not. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) It, It is. It's, it's, and it's, um, it's like, I guess just what it, what it comes down to is, you know, you, you, your, your family did so much and, and you've done so much to get yourself healthy again. And, and then, so you're at this kind of higher point than you were. You've like built yourself back up. You're like feeling so good. And then you have this, this company out here that is doing everything they can to bring you back down. That's what it feels like, you know? And it's just, it's so fucking awful to have to deal with. It just shouldn't be this hard, right? No matter if it's centralized or privatized or whatever, it just shouldn't be that hard, right? And you're a smart, overeducated person and it's hard for you to navigate. So can you just imagine, I mean- Oh, no, like how patients do it. And I mean, the the thing is they don't, like they don't, they don't dispute some of these things. And you, okay. it's so easy to overlook, you know, things that, that are not right, that they, that should be covered that aren't and, or things that you're built for that never happened, you know, stuff like that just can yeah. easily fall through the cracks. And, and, and as I, as I, I filmed a couple of TikToks just, just about this right. situation right. and uh, which, you know, I mean, as a doctor, one of the worst things to learn is that a lot of people are proving reviewing have no medical background whatsoever. It's just literally a paper pusher, you know, and it's going to get so much worse with the COVID pandemic and the job loss. And the fact that Mm -hmm. you did make a joke about that on Twitter that like, you know, if you don't have a job, how do we figure this out? Because, you know, more and more Americans these days are not going to have jobs. So it's like just a huge, huge problem that hopefully, hopefully we can fix maybe, maybe November. I don't know. Yeah. Right. It it just, it feels hopeless. Yeah, It does. (laughs) does. Unfortunately. I have a a question that is not necessarily a fair one and I feel almost bad for asking it, but I really do want to know when something like this happens that comes out of the blue, 
and you had no expectation of it, no family history, anything like that, as far as you know, how do you deal with it? Like, how do you go about living life knowing that this crazy thing happened without any sort of explanation? And do you feel sort of like the floor could drop out from under you at any point? And how do you deal with yeah. it? Um, it was, it was a little bit, that was, that was a hard thing for me. Uh, it, it was easier with the cancer stuff because like, okay, I'm a, a man and you know, I'm in the right demographic for this to happen. Um, the cardiac arrest was so like none of, nobody could ever have guessed that that was going to happen. And so typically I'm fairly even keeled in terms of being able to go with the flow and just kind of accept things as they are and deal with them and not be too affected yeah. uh, by those things. And um, I still feel like, okay, this is a thing that happened. No one knows why, but I have this, uh, you know, backup defibrillator that's going to go off if it happens again. Yeah. Um, chances are looking at all the data, like uh, chances are it's not going to happen again, as long as I get through like the first six months. So like all these things, you know, the fact that it was so rare and unlikely that it's going to happen again does make me feel better. I don't dwell too much on the fact that no one knows why it happened. Uh, and it really having the defibrillator helps me. It's yeah. more my helping my family get through it because yeah. honestly, it's, it's harder at this point from just a mental health and, and anxiety standpoint um, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Must be so hard for your wife. But again, I think the defibrillator, you know, if you didn't have it, I think I can't imagine life without it, right? You would just be waiting for that to happen again and again. And it would be, I think it would be terrifying. It would be, I mean, you guys yeah. are obviously suffering from a form of like acute stress disorder, right? Um, yeah. Which is the precursor to post-traumatic like. stress disorder. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. if you had no defibrillator, it would be it would oh, be yeah. forever. It certainly makes us feel better. I mean, like, you know, I, I couldn't go out of my family's sight, you know, before right. that was put in. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I'm going to go upstairs, take a shower. Okay, well, take your phone. Call us when you're in the shower. Okay. Right. Live, live stream your shower. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So right. Um, it has helped. It's, it's given us a sense of uh, a little bit of comfort as Good. much as it can. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, now we're going to do some listener questions because everybody wants to know more about you. Yeah, so earlier today, I, I put it out there on Twitter for people that had questions for you. And now I have to say, Lizzie and I are, are really new to Twitter. Like we've had, a, uh, we've had a Twitter page or whatever for a couple of years, but we've only used it for like a year. So I guess my guess is a lot of these are like inside jokes or people that have been following you forever. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I might I might try and skip some of those, but you, you let me know along the way. Okay. We don't, we don't, we'll skip the ones that we don't actually understand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of references that we right. just don't get here. I'm um, happy to like, explain the references, which right. I'm sure everybody loves to hear. <laughs> yeah, right. No, listeners right. love that. I should mention that only a small portion of our listenership is Twitter. <laughs> oh, okay, great. We're doing it anyways. This is going to confuse a lot of people. Then. This is going to confuse a lot thing. of people. But, but there's some there's some good questions in here so um okay here is one from prodigal hoosier at at prodigal hoosier and um he she i'm not sure asks what the f is the point of lasix if you're gonna need glasses in 10 years again what's his opinion on when it's <laughs> genuinely worth it now this might be too big a concept to answer no, here is that, okay. that something you want? okay 
Actually, I wrote a, a I, I do I have a website, and so I, I drgcomedy.com, and I actually I get this question so often that I wrote a, like a blog post that I just link to every time I get this question on Twitter. Um, but LASIK does have diminishing returns over time. That's why it's so great when you can get it like in your 20s. Mm -hmm. um, but it's harder when you're in your late 30s and 40s because typically what people get LASIK for is because they're nearsighted mm -hmm. and they want to be able to see better for far away. But when you get into your mid 40s, you naturally lose the ability to see up close right? That's called presbyopia. That's why we all end up in reading glasses. So if a 45-year-old comes in and they get LASIK to help them see better for distance, well, they're immediately going to lose their reading. Hmm. They're going to they're gonna right away go into reading glasses. Now, when you're 20, that's not going to happen because you can focus your eyes up close all day. All right, but then as you get into your 30s and into your 40s, you lose that ability to focus up close. Mm -hmm. So really, once you're in your 40s, the best way to do LASIK is to get one eye distance, one eye up close, the focal mm -hmm. point. It's called monovision. That's really the only way mm -hmm. to do it. That sounds oh, terrifying. Oh, you, know. <laughs> yeah. you are a doctor. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I actually know things. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, and then there's some people asking for like very specific problems for themselves, which we're not going to do here. Um, <laughs> like, the like medical advice. Right. How right. do you then, intubate somebody? Yeah. <laughs> right. And then um, here is CCCPD at this charming ham. He or she asks, <laughs> I would ask, if not already, how his recent personal hospital experience has changed or affected his practice and interactions with our current private insurance-based health systems. Yeah, good question. Um, it really hasn't changed my individual practice so much. I mean, I still practice in the same, in the same healthcare environment as I always have. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's from a physical standpoint, actually just performing my job, you know, I, I kind of slowly ramped up. You know, and and because at first I would get pretty overwhelmed, kind of physically and mentally. You know, just interacting with patients all day, um, and and so that's gotten a lot better. I feel like hundred percent. Mm -hmm. But in terms of of how my health insurance woes have affected my interactions with patients, uh, that's really not hasn't really changed things much. It's not really a big part of my job. Um, I'm always trying to be uh, cost conscious with with patients and not right. give them things they don't need. Yeah. Right, right, so right. on an individual basis, it hasn't changed. Yeah, though, not really. But you're still more mindful. I'm just, I'm of just that. trying. I'm just trying to 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 live to see 2021. To be honest. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> we not all that are. Easy. Um, M at Jane with two A Jane woman um, writes. What does he remember about his CPR? Was there a complete blackout? any goth sounds, any trip to imaginary wonderland? Did he see himself floating out of his body? What were those minutes like? Hmm. Um, absolutely nothing. I could, I have, I have no recollection. I have, I, I went to bed, my wife was next to me and I woke up and there was a nurse uh, asking me, you know, if I knew who the president was. And so that's, that's terrifying. That Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> and so um, it's uh. No, total, total. I, I guess, do people, 
experience chest compressions? I mean, if, if you can, if you we, know what's we, happening, do you need chest compressions? I don't know. <laughs> I'm an question. ophthalmologist. We, I, I don't know we, these questions. We did have a patient um, who came in and she told us about, she had, a, she was an intensivist who just finished her intensivist training. And at the very end of it had um, got dramatically ill, was intubated, coded, like I think multiple times. And she described later um, the, these out-of-body experiences during the procedure. Now, really? what is, is that just like the brain firing off weird neurons afterwards or that same sense of deja vu? I don't know, but uh, you know, oh. I'm sure it's been discussed. You're talking about Rena oh. Oddish? Yeah. She also got, like she also said that people said it was obviously related to all the opiates you got. She's like, but I don't want to believe that version of the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, yeah. here we go. Plague Dr. Light at Baco Taco writes, I mean, this is how you know we're never going to be it. like professional journalists because we read <laughs> shit like this. <laughs> anyway, are memes an underutilized mode of delivering and reinforcing content in education? <laughs> First of all, I love whenever you start reading out Twitter names out loud, they sound so, they're already ridiculous <laughs> and dumb, yes. but it makes it even, even worse. Um, are memes underutilized? Um, not when it comes to like actually teaching things like memes aren't going to be helpful right i yeah, i yeah. love i mean memes are great but only for a purely entertainment standpoint i don't know do you guys what do you guys think i i mean whatever at, at this point every little know. bit helps if you yeah. can remember a mnemonic because some silly picture is put to it that's something we've been doing for ages you know that's we have true. like we, we draw out something silly and we put something so it like has an emotional resonance and then you, therefore you remember it better. Yeah, I still yeah. I remember things I have no business remembering, right. but just, just by virtue of, of having some silly association to it. So, Well, on that note, you also, I think, are a proponent of making med school perhaps a bit shorter. Is that yeah. Something you, okay. Oh, man. Because we Absolutely. do learn a lot of stuff that nobody ever will apply in their life it's like learning you know have you do you remember the krebs cycle do you remember mm -hmm. this i remember the words you remember what that does i did promise people that i would drill you on step three of it That's... people really wanted to see that so uh, sorry. alpha ketoglutarate how's hey, that wow. i'll accept is that, it is that a thing? A, i think there's an acetyl Pass. something in there there's acetos um there's hydrogens mm -hmm. um all right, no, we actually have more questions. There's, there's a lot more questions, people. I'm going I'm to kind of go through yeah, some of them. Let's do it. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. A lot of people asking about Visine. I told them that was off limits. Um, <laughs> just, uh, just eject all of it into the sun. Just all get, the Visine. I mean, yes, Visine is not good. You guys right? know why, right? Sure. Yeah. Why don't you tell us, though? Okay, it's, it's an astringent. So it's like, you know, the stuff you put on, like, acne. You know, it, you, you're like putting it in your eye and, and yeah, it does. So no acne on your eye. You okay. don't want acne, but it, you know, it vasoconstricts. Mm -hmm. So it makes your eyes whiter, but then there's a reason your eye, your eyes are all red. And so the, the once it wears off, that redness just comes roaring back and it, it just ends up causing problems. That's why I compensate it from patients. So it's a vasoconstrictor basically. And it's just hide masking yeah, the problem. Masking the problem. That's why the only indication is for, is for teenagers who are trying to hide their marijuana use from their parents. That's the only, oh, the only indication. Okay. That's okay. That's, that's, that's a legitimate use. I, I can, I can be down with it. I understand. No. It's good that you're down with the youth. Okay, here's another one from David A. Cohen at David A. Cohen. How um, does he talk to his kids about his medical issues? 
Oh, good question. So what they know, um, so I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. And um, in general, they know I got sick. I had a, something that happened to my heart and I had to go to the hospital, uh, but I'm fine. And I think the key thing was trying to shield them from the initial trauma of the event. And they, cause they don't, they did not wake up during all that. They were asleep, the door was, was closed. And, um, and so they did not see me getting chest compression. They didn't see me getting shocked six times on our, on our dining room floor, um, which was I think crucial. And so they're, they understand I had this, this time when I was sick and I, they know I have this defibrillator uh, that's gonna help keep me from getting sick. But you know, that's kind of the extent to. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Who, who took care of them? When, what happened? Did your wife have to stay with them while they took you to the hospital? And I, Fortunately, I have a mother-in-law. My mother-in-law is about 45 minutes away. And so um, they came, took me in the ambulance to the hospital. My wife stayed at the house immediately, right as soon as the EMS got there, she got on the phone, had her come up and stay wow. with the kids. Were your, um, were your ribs all broken? I had no broken ribs, remarkably. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was sore, but not as sore as my wife was after 10 minutes of chest compressions. Right. Um, and I had burns too from the from the defibrillator. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, six times they had to shock me and get me back in the that's, sinus. That's a lot. That's that really, sucks. That really sucks. sucks, man. I'm sorry. God. Poor wife having to what see. What the fuck was my heart doing? Like, why? Dick. Your heart. What the? the I mean, I make fun of cardiologists like relatively frequently, but I didn't expect this kind of retaliation. <laughs> did did, every, did everybody think that you had COVID? That's I, got, a, I, I got COVID tested. That was like the first thing I like, I'm pretty sure all the EMS people came in, with like, right. you know, hazmat suits. Right. Um, but it's like your eight year old knows that there's no school. So kids know about COVID, you know? So yeah. I wonder if they asked or were curious about that, you know? Um, no, they weren't. Yeah. You know, this happened in May. And so I think they're, they're more aware of the virus and COVID. Um, yeah now than they were back then um just because we've been talking about a lot with like school whether or not school is starting right um but everybody else was extremely concerned about about covid right because yeah. some of the co- some of the sequela of those who have had covid are, are arrhythmias you know yeah um the weeks later once you recover that's these are some of the kind of terrible things that are wreaking havoc to you know even I once got- you survive covid I've had a number of COVID tests, definitely. Sure. <laughs> Fortunately, they did the first few while I was out of, I was unconscious. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't feel good to get one of those. Good. Man, well, you must have a, a new appreciation for your, I mean, you probably always did, but I'm sure it puts family into a much different perspective now, like when you see your kids playing and that sort of thing, yeah. right? It does. It's, um, you know, it'll, it'll still hit me. You know, I, I, I don't think about it every day anymore uh almost every day it's still uh, i think about you know what happened and you know some of the memories of the whole event come back to me although i've lost a lot of those memories i don't remember a lot around the time of the event but um yeah when i'm with my family and doing something and they, they you know my five-year-old does tells a joke or you know it's just little things that just kind of like oh man like i I almost died and I, I wouldn't have 
been able to see this or I wouldn't have, yeah. you know, and, and that's, it's, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice and sobering and it's just, it's just a weird feeling whenever that hits you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. If you thought testicular cancer like catapulted your com comedy career, well, oh man, give yourself an another few weeks or months. This will this will really drive that home. Yeah, I've I've got I've uh, I'm actually speaking at a couple of uh, EMS conferences in the next few months, and I think people are very interested in in this whole event. It's just kind of yeah, it's kind of okay. crazy, and yeah. I guess just my willingness to talk about it, I guess, is kind of, a, you're able to talk about it. You're able to find the humor in the moments and speak about it. Like, uh, you know, I think people want to hear, man, it's fascinating and terrifying and kind of uplifting at the same time. I mean, like you're doing a really good a job. Bit, yeah. You've done a really good job of like, you know, turning these yeah. lemons into some sort of passable lemonade. Um, I kind of have to, it's just kind of, you know, if I, and I guess that's just what I do with this whole comedy thing and, and some of the harder things that have happened in my life that if I don't, if I don't try to find some kind of humor or way to way to a new way to look at it, then I'll just get buried under the, yeah kind of the, the weight of all of it. That's right. Yeah. All right. One last question for you then. Yeah. And we'll let you go. And a lot of people asked something similar to this. We actually did an episode with a toxicologist a couple of weeks back, um, James Chenoweth, and he wrote this really nice blog piece about, um, you know, all the less lethal weapons that the police are using for crowd control. And I know you've gotten a lot of questions about it. People have a lot of questions still. Um, here is one from uh, Physical Distance Lou, MD, at, uh, I don't know, I can't read the whole thing. Um, and she writes, I practice primary care in Portland, and I'd love a tutorial on care of eyes after repeated nightly exposure to tear gas. Yeah, so tear gas um, is not quite as bad as like pepper spray could be. So tear gas will be, had, it'll cause just what it is it causes lots of tearing right but it's it that's easier to kind of get out of your system with just rent just a um, irrigation uh and so that's what i would recommend for tear gas exposure really that's all you need you just need irrigation irrigation uh you know a good like liter or two of, of water uh or saline uh just to kind of rinse out um the the you know the chemical yeah. It's the tear gas, or it's not tear gas, uh, pepper, spray. pepper spray. Yeah, that's that's that can be much more caustic to the surface of the eye because uh, it can stick around a little bit longer. It's just it's more fluid. It's more direct exposure to the eye. That um, the number one thing is not rubbing your eyes. You don't want to rub because you'll rub more of it into the eye because uh, a lot of times it's around the skin of the eye, and if you try to rub, you'll just get it everywhere. So you don't run a rub. You do want to rinse right away, and uh, using a um, like baby shampoo water mix formula uh, can be uh, is really helpful because it, it's it's easier to wa wa wash away some of those uh, some of those chemicals that are in pepper spray. So I would say like baby shampoo or like a very mild soap uh, mixed with water uh, to rinse out the eyes. You got to use a lot of water, like. As much as you think you're using, you gotta use more. Yeah. yeah. And right. don't use Visine. Avoid on top of it. Visine. I have a whole drawer in my office full of Visine I've taken off of people. <laughs> it's my Visine 
uh, shame, drawer of shame. Okay. Stay away from it. Got it. All right. Well, thanks, man. On that note, we'll we'll let you go. It's really um, a pleasure to speak with you. Like I said, you're one of the most interesting, fun voices on uh, Twitter in general. So I recommend people check you you out. Where where should people um, find you? So you can find me on on Twitter. Um, it's just uh, uh, at D Glockenflecken. It's just, it's spelled like it sounds, uh, um, which uh, is not helpful at all. Right. But um, Dr. Glockenflecken on Twitter. Uh, you can find me same thing on TikTok if you're interested in TikTok. Um, and then I do have a website, drgcomedy.com, and you can check out some of the. Um, some of the blog I've done just a few blog posts, informational type stuff on over-the-counter eye drops and LASIK and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, with a humor, humorous twist to it. Yeah, yeah, thank no, you. It's, it's really funny. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay, I don't know what we were talking about. It's hard for me to. Do I, I know. Oh boy. Well, um, I'm going to be honest right now. I'm like, what conversation is going on in your head? This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.